Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is firing season in the SEC. Texas A&M has seen enough of Jimbo Fisher and sent him off to spend his days at El Rancho del Bayout and Mississippi State. Well, they've had enough of Zach Arnett, too. They only needed 10 games to decide that Zach Arnett wasn't the man. And uh, I don't think uh, Zach Arnett will be joining Jimbo at Buyout Ranch, but he'll probably be a defensive coordinator at a university near you sometime next season. Welcome in to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer with John Adams. John, I believe we called this last week, did we not? We played a little Factor Fiction recently, and we had both Jimbo and Zach Arnett as fact getting fired. Didn't take long. Jimbo, poor guy, got fired after a 41-point victory. What's your thoughts on these two dismissals? It was expected. Decision was already made on Jimbo. It didn't matter how badly he he beat Mississippi State this past weekend. And I think the decision was made on Zach Arnett already. Sometimes in that situation, it used to happen more often where the schools would, well, let's just wait till the end of the season. We're going to part ways with this coach, but that's not the way we – not the way we roll in these days. It's uh, you make a decision, let's get it over with and start looking for that new coach. Uh, of course, there will be a lot of candidates for a lot of other jobs, too. The firing season is really just getting going. But it's uh, the A&M job is going to be extremely attractive. Yeah, and let's let's start there, John. I want to get into Mississippi State later on in the episode, but the big job is, is A&M at this moment. A&M is the most attractive job on the market. We have Miss Michigan state open in the big 10 Northwestern's also open. Who cares? The Aggies are our job number one at this point. And that's, that was, I think to me, the way I looked at one of the appeals of firing Jimbo Fisher now and not waiting until next season or, or waiting even deeper into this year when they fired him, they became job at number one available. Doesn't mean you can get whoever you want, but it does mean if someone's looking, if they want to jump, AM's the best place to jump to at this moment. So here's what we're going to do when it comes to Texas AM. There's a bunch of names out there at this point. It's just talk, it's just conjecture, but I want to engage with, with some of these names and see what you think about them. But rather than just saying, do you like this name? Do you not? We're going to put every name up against Lane Kiffin. <laughs> because it's coaching carousel season, which means Lane's got to be involved, right? I think this is a, yeah. a job Lane has probably looked at and thought, oh, I could win big there. I think it's one of the reasons he's needled Jimbo Fisher so much over the years is because he knows Jimbo did less with more and Lane, not so much Saturday in Athens, but Lane throughout most of his old Ole Miss tenure has done more with less. So I'm going to give you an option, Lane Kiffin or Coach X, and you'll have to tell me which one you would prefer 
if you were Texas A&M. So let's start this conversation. Where are we going to go here? Let's start in the Big 12. Lance Leipold at Kansas is someone the national media types, they love Lance Leipold. And to his credit, he's done a very good job at a basketball school. This is someone who's worked his way up. He was a longtime coach at uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. I believe that's a Division III school. He's a Wisconsin native. Then he got his FBS break at Buffalo. He won there. He's won at, at Kansas. He's winning at places that don't always roll off the tongue when we think about Texas A&M coaching candidates. So who would you pick between Lane Kiffin and Lance Leipold? Well, I really like what Lance Leipold has done. He's got a great resume. But I'd take Lane Kiffin uh, for several reasons, one of which he really knows the SEC by now. I mean, he was a coordinator at Alabama. He was a coach at Tennessee. He's been a coach at Ole Miss. I think it really helps to know what you're up against in this league. And the league won't get any easier next year with Texas and Oklahoma. So I think that's a factor. Also, I think he's one of the premier play callers in college football. He's got a great offensive mind. So I would take probably take him over most candidates. Will A&M go for that? I don't know. A&M may be aiming even higher. But I think Kiffin, how could he turn that job down uh, I, compared to Ole Miss? He's done a nice job at Ole Miss, but there's a ceiling there, and the ceiling might get lower in a 16-team league. So I would take Lane Kiffin there. Yeah, it was a year ago, John, we were talking about Kiffin in conjunction with the Auburn job. Uh, it was Auburn was either going Kiffin or Hugh Freeze. Kiffin is believed to have been Auburn's number one choice at one point. Kiffin stayed put at Ole Miss. And I, I I was, I guess, kind of advocating. I really didn't care what Lane Kiffin did. It was his life. But I thought that the better thing for Kiffin to do was to stay at Ole Miss. I mean, apples to apples, Auburn's a better job. However, I didn't know if it was a big enough jump for him to leave Ole Miss. You really only, you don't, you only get so many sh- shots to make that, that springboard jump. And Auburn, as we know, can be a bit of a mess sometimes, can be meddlesome with those boosters. There's pressure being in Alabama's shadow, and I thought Lane was better off staying at Ole Miss. Uh, I'm sure he sought out my advice and, and listened to that because he stayed. But I look at Texas A&M differently. Even though Auburn has had the national championship you know, in recent memory, whereas Texas A&M hasn't won at all since 1939, I I mean, A&M to me is just a school with everything there that it could win a national championship. It's got the NIL. It's got the recruiting base in Texas, the the gleaming facilities that would make NFL programs blush, the mega, donor, mega donors, excuse me, who, who write a blank check, even $77 million to get rid of Jimbo. Like, I think it's a sleeping giant, and I think, um, you know, Lane would show up and be surrounded by five stars, something he's not going to have at Ole Miss. I agree. And one of the real advantages when you talk about recruiting, I think coaches like recruiting less than ever now. Uh, They don't like going into a living room. And rather than trying to develop a relationship with a player and his parents, uh, they have to say, okay, here's what we can offer. I mean, that's just the price of doing business now. 
the thing with A&M is apparently it can offer pretty much anything. Uh, if they ask uh, the A&M coach, what can you offer? And the answer is probably the world. <laughs> Would you, I mean, that's a recruiting advertisement to say, okay, we just fired a coach. We paid a coach $76 million to go away. What do you think we'll pay for somebody to come here and stay? It's just, uh, uh, I think if you go there, you can let the collective handle the a lot of the money, and it's going to be easier for a coach there. There's no doubt about it. Recruiting would be easier. And then also you're in Texas, which is fertile recruiting ground always, whether NIL is in play, transfer portal, you name it. It's Texas. It has great high school football. All right, so we've we've got sidetracked here making the pitch for Lane. We'll get back to making the comparison of do you want Lane or so in the Lance Leipold conversation, you you stay you you stayed with Lane. You took Kiffin over over Leipold. How about staying in the Big Twelve? Someone who I feel like's resume kind of looks a lot like Lance Leipold's, and that's Chris Kleiman from Kansas State. Another guy who's worked his way up the ranks was a I think he won four national championships with North Dakota State in that juggernaut of a FCS program. And and now he's been at Kansas State for several years. And all he does there is post winning seasons every year. So Kiffin or Kleiman? I suspect I know what you're going to say, because as I said, this feels like a pitch similar to Leipold. It's also hard to shake the Kansas history in football. Kansas is... uh never been much of a football school, uh, mainly basketball. Kansas State moved up considerably when Bill Snyder took over. He rebuilt that program twice. But still, I, I for the same reasons I preferred Kiffin uh, with the first coach, Lance Leipold, I would, re- I would prefer him again. I just think he knows what he's up against in the SEC, and we know he can coach offense anywhere in the country. All right. Well, I'm going to throw one at uh, one of your favorites at you and see if I can get you to take the take the bait on this one and and leave your man Kiffin behind. Is there any coach you've trumpeted more to get more chances, John, than Urban Meyer? You've been you've been ready to see Urban back on a college sideline since the day I met you, I think. So Urban Meyer or Lane Kiffin? Need I even ask? Uh, not really. I mean, of course it's Urban Meyer. He's a gu- guaranteed championship waiting to happen. There are some uh, troublesome issues there, and I won't go into those. I don't want to talk about lap dances, that's for sure. Uh, but I do think with uh, Urban, he says he doesn't want to get back in coaching, and I think when I listen to his reasoning this time, I believe him. Uh, I just don't think, but the A&M job, he would only go to a school where he thought he could win a national championship. And I think he feels like if he goes back into coaching, it might kill him. Uh, but if you're A&M, isn't that the kind of coach you want? This guy will die. Someone who's going to drop dead on the sideline when he's down by two scores to Texas. 
<laughs> no, let me. Hear. That's when when you hear the ads rattling off the list of qualifications they're looking for. Someone who just seizes up and falls over <laughs> down a couple scores to the to the Longhorns. No, no, somebody that wants to win that badly. Oh, okay. Did he would risk his life for it? That's the kind of coach I think the Aggies would embrace. So yeah, I would take. Urban Meyer over uh, Lane Kiffin, certainly. What do you think? How do you think Urban would react to this NIL transfer era where the athletes have more power than they used to? Because that would, for me as an AD, that concerned me about Urban Meyer. I mean, obviously, the guy knows how to win at college. He's one of the best winners in the last 30 years of, of college football. So we know that. But the, but the game has changed. The, di- the power structure has changed since he was last on a college sideline. Yes, it has, and that would be a challenge for him. It's a challenge for all coaches, but I think it's less of a challenge at a place like College Station, Texas, where the NIL collective is so aggressive and just so so endowed with uh, financial benefits. I just think he could. I think he could manage that. Again, he wants to win championships. That's what drives him. He wants to win every game and he wants to win championships, and he sees what he has there, uh, the potential, he could say, okay, this is what I have to deal with. And I think he could send a message. I think he always, a similar message that uh, Nick Saban sends, I think, when he was at Alabama. And it's harder now, but still, he gets a message across that, okay, if you don't want to do what I say, uh, or you don't improve your play, I got another guy waiting. There's always another guy waiting. And I think Urban Meyer could tweak that a little bit uh, at Texas A&M. He could just tell a guy, he could tell a player, hey, you're not performing the level we expect. You're going to have to pick it up or we'll just buy somebody better. All right. So you took Urban, no yes. surprise whatsoever. No. Uh, this one seems a little far-fetched to me, Johnny. I, I, I put his name out there in a column. Uh, a lot of the national types have his name on their list. I don't know how seriously they think he would maybe leave, but Mike Norvell at Florida State. I mean, he's he's on top of the world right now at FSU. Uh, he was not in so much favor there a couple years ago, but they stuck it out with Norvell. He's played the transfer portal beautifully, and now he's he's got an undefeated team chugging toward the toward the college football playoff. His salary already exceeds seven million. I'm sure this season is going to put him in line for a sizable raise as he moves toward the ten million dollar club. So I don't know, you know, how realistic it is that Mike Norvell would leave Florida State behind for Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher did it, but the situation was a little bit different there. Uh, Jimbo was not on top of the world at that time. However, in a world where Norvell would leave Florida State for A&M, would you take him over Lane Kiffin? That is a tough one, but I would still probably prefer Kiffin. Um, you have a lot going for you. You have more going for you, more in your favorite Florida State. And Norvell hasn't really done anything great yet. He may be on his way this year, but uh, Lane Kiffin has, has won at places where it's tougher to win sometimes. And... Uh, and again, I, I still like the SEC experience. So I would I would go with uh, 
I would go with Kiffin, but that's a really close call. If you told me I could have Kiffin or Norvell, uh, I would say, okay, we're we're all right. We take one of those guys. But I agree with you. If you're winning at Florida State, why in the world would you leave? Easier to win in the ACC than it is in the SEC. The only thing is, will you end up in the SEC anyway? So. <laughs> Yeah, it, we're in lockstep here. I, I think this is a really tough call. I think, you know, if I had the benefit of waiting a few weeks and seeing like, okay, is Norvell the real deal here? I, I, I think he, I think maybe he is at Florida State. I might go for it, but uh, I think I would give the slight edge to to Kiffin in this in this one as well. Uh, let's head out west for a couple. You can unpack them one by one, see if your answer is the same or different. Dan Lanning in Oregon and Kalen DeBoer at Washington, two guys that stepped into two of the Pac 12s better programs and they've been off and running since day 1. Lanning is the former defensive coordinator under Kirby Smart whereas Kalen DeBoer has more that uh Lance Leipold, Chris Kleiman background, uh but in year 1, Washington went from a 4 and 8 before he got there to 11 and 2 and now they're undefeated this year and and Lanning has the Ducks right at their heels, maybe ready to face him in a Pac-12 championship rematch. So would your answer differ for those two, or are you going the same direction when it comes to Lanning and Kalen DeBoer versus Lane Kiffin? I would take Kiffin over DeBoer. I would take Lanning over Kiffin. Uh, he won me over with that uh, with that speech for the Colorado game. <laughs> <laughs> they're, what are they? They're playing for clicks. Uh, we're playing for wins, something like that. I'm paraphrasing probably not very well, but that showed me, I think Kirby smart is a really good motivator. And I think Dan Lanning just on one speech alone, he convinced me he can do the same thing. Uh, and again, I do weigh that sec experience. He's been the defensive coordinator on a national championship team. That doesn't always assure success at uh, as a head coach. See Jeremy Pruitt for details. But I think with Lanning, he knows the SEC. He's recruited in the SEC. And he knows what it's like to guide a defense through the college football playoff. I'm including the SEC championship game. So I, w- I would take Lanning there. Why not DeBoer, though, John? Because this is – I mean, he – he beat Lanning this year. He mm-hmm. beat Lanning last year. He's 21-2 and two at Washington. He left Fresno State in a better place than he found it. He won NAIA National Championships at Sioux Falls. Uh, I don't... You know, he doesn't he doesn't seem to get as much buzz as Dan Lanning. Maybe it's just because he didn't work under Kirby Smart. Uh, maybe it's because Dan Lanning's like the the young coach and everybody kind of gravitates to the new young mind. But, you know, both guys are in their second year as a head coach. And actually, DeBoer, as good as Lanning's been, DeBoer's been better and he's beat him twice. Clearly, I think that's a case of Southern bias on my part. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Uh-huh. Love that accent. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're charmed by Lanning's time working under Kirby. Okay. It's I yeah. And, and yeah. also I, I do think I like coaches 
who were coordinators, say a defensive coordinator who becomes a head coach and runs a, a wide open offense. A lot mm-hmm. of guys struggle with that. Uh, Bob Stoops didn't when he went to Oklahoma after being a defensive coordinator from St- for Steve Spurrier. Lanning has done the same thing. I, I always like, I put that in the plus column, but again, it gets back to my Southern bias. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. The fact did that I, he's worked for did, Kirby and, and was so, sick. Did, yeah. Did I say that slowly enough for you to understand? It's, it's slowing down man. even uh, more. And see, you can do this accent, John, because you're from the South. Yeah. See, when I do it, I'm from the Midwest, so it probably rubs our listeners the wrong way, but you're born and bred. Well, I think it probably rubs our listeners the wrong way, even when I do it. I know it rubs our producer wrong, so I'm sure she's uh, loving the editing of, of this pod. Two more for you. John, as we wrap this up before moving on to Mississippi State. So right now, you want Dan Lanning or you want Urban Meyer. Otherwise, you're taking Kiffin. Here's one out of left field for you. And before you say, what am I What am I thinking here? Remember, Brian Kelly left Notre Dame for LSU. Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for Southern Cal. So we've seen coaches leave good jobs before. Dabo Sweeney's done a great job at Clemson, but the pinnacle is behind him. And now he's got fans on his call-in radio show taking him to task. Tyler from Spartanburg came after Dabo. <laughs> Others have come after Dabo. The The shine is off Clemson a little bit, although they've, they've picked themselves off the mat the last couple weeks. But, you know, Dabo said recently that he plans on coaching for several more seasons. He doesn't know where it will be, he said. He plans on coaching for a while longer. That uh, felt like a bit of a shot at Clemson, and maybe all that was was just, hey, quiet down. I'm still the king here. Or maybe he really is looking else at what else is out there. So who would you take between Kiffin and Dabo? And it's interesting. This is like a 180 choice. Kiffin's Mr. Transfer Portal King. Dabo is like, transfers, what are those? That's another tough call. I remember when Dabo Sweeney hired, was hired by Clemson. He'd never been a coordinator. I thought it was an odd hire. I uh, thought it was a bad hire. Turned out to be a great hire. Now, could he apply the same uh, the same thing he did at Texas at, at Clemson to take? Would it work at Texas A and M? I think there's a feeling with Dabo that his time has come and gone, and his time was great. I'm certainly not sliding him. Uh, he's done a great job at Clemson. If he left for Texas A&M, I think he would go there with the intent of having something to prove, just as Brian Kelly left Notre Dame for LSU with a chance to win a national championship. I think Dabo would be highly motivated more more motivated than Jimbo was, which isn't saying a lot. Uh, but I still go back to Kiffin with his ex- SEC expertise and uh, with his offensive ability. I would still take Kiffin there. Well, you're giving a lot of love to a guy who just lost by 35 points to to Georgia. But, you know, and something like that really shouldn't affect a hire. Like if you liked Lane Kiffin before Saturday, if you're Texas A&M, 
it really shouldn't affect you that he got ran over by Georgia because a lot of teams get run over by Georgia and you're going to have your situation at A&M is not going to be what your situation is at Ole Miss. But you know how these things work and things can turn on a dime here. And so even if even if Texas A&M really liked Kiffin on the heels of, of Ole Miss beating Jimbo Fisher for the third time in a row, something like a 35-point loss to Georgia could could change their opinion on it. But it obviously hasn't changed your opinion. No, but as, as I said, that's a that's a tough call. The Norvell uh, decision was a tough call, too. All right, two more, John. This one might be quick. Uh, I don't love this idea. He's on every, every hot board that's out there. I, I think Mike Elko's done a very nice job at, at Duke. But at the end of the day, he's Jimbo Fisher's former defensive coordinator, now, things were better in the Jimbo era when Elko was there. They went 9-1 and one with him running the defense. But maybe I'm overthinking it. To me, I don't love the idea of bringing somebody from Jimbo's staff back to replace Jimbo, who got fired for stinking up the joint. So, But maybe you think differently. Do you want Elko or do you want Kiffin? No, I don't, I don't want Elko. Um, and he's done a good job at Duke, but a good job at Duke and a good job at Texas A&M. A&M's not hiring David Cutcliffe, and they're not hiring uh, Mike Elko, as far as I'm concerned. But maybe A&M sees it differently. But I, uh, Duke coaches is not where I'd go to, but it worked out okay for Florida. Steve Spurrier was a bit of a different breed, though. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one, John. So far, you take Kiffin in every instance, but two. I think everybody assumes Jim Harbaugh, is uh, still got his sights set on the NFL if he doesn't win this battle with the Big Ten and NCAA. And maybe even if he does, he just says, I've had enough of this place, uh, <laughs> this place being college athletics. I'm going to go to the NFL. But maybe if maybe it's not that he wants to go to the NFL. Maybe he just wants to get away from Michigan and the big bad Big Ten uh, that have, have put Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines in their crosshairs. So in this hypothetical universe where... Harbaugh wants to start over somewhere else, but that somewhere else doesn't have to necessarily be the NFL. Would you take Jim Harbaugh or Lane Kiffin? Oh, you! I would take uh, Jim Harbaugh and feel absolutely great about it. Uh, that would be... But he's cheating, John. He's cheating. Uh-huh. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, none of that ever happens in the SEC. I mean, yeah. I think it, I think the cheating would actually be in his favor if you're hiring him. I, I said in, in Urban Meyer's defense of Urban Meyer that you should want to co- hire a coach who's willing to risk death to win games. Well, this guy, I don't think cheating would be a, a negative for him. So, yeah, I just think he's he's done a great job at Michigan. I Man, I imagine that Michigan offense – and. Uh, in the uh, SEC, going knocking heads with Georgia and Alabama, lining up with seven offensive linemen out there. Uh, I would, yeah, I would love to see that. I, I talked to a friend of mine in Dallas and told him, uh, told him to tell his uh, big te- Texas A&M Aggie buddy, who's a big booster there, to tell him uh, they need to hire Harbaugh. And he said, I already told him last night, so. As good as a done deal. You heard it here first, right, Jack? Yeah, Yeah, I'm right in the middle of this. 
<laughs> Breaking news on SEC football. Friend, friend of a friend. I mean, what more do you want for a source? Sounds like a message board post, really. There's <laughs> there's probably seven friends of friends that already got uh, Harbaugh's wife buying real estate in college, <laughs> college station. All right, well, the final tally there is, uh, and we threw out some pretty good coaches. Uh, the final tally, though, you, you take Kiffin six times out of nine, with the exceptions being... Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh, and Dan Lanning. Uh, I don't think Urban Meyer's walking through that door. I'm not sure I'm buying Jim Harbaugh's walking through that door. But Dan Lanning? I could see Dan Lanning maybe thinking about walking through that door. Yeah. How many cross-country flights do you want to make in a football season? Bingo. All right, we, uh, we'll leave A&M behind there and move on to Mississippi State. As we record this on a Monday evening, Zach Arnett is out after 10 games as the, uh, this season. He also finished it out last year, winning the bowl game after the death of Mike Leach. Arnett, I think you put it best last week, John. He was really always an interim coach in the eyes of Mississippi State, quite clearly, even though they removed the label. They probably viewed this as, hey, if he goes out there and wins nine games this year, great. Otherwise, they can get rid of him for basically nothing, which is what they're doing with the offset in his buyout. And Zach Selman, the AD there, who was not in place when Arnett was promoted, now gets to take a shot uh, at doing this. So don't really want to beat up on on Arnett. He stepped into an incredibly difficult situation after the death of, of Leach, and he's a successful defensive coordinator. I'm sure he will find employment in that role as soon as he wants it. The question is, what does Mississippi State do now? We know this is one of the tougher jobs in the SEC. However, a couple of guys made it look not so tough. One of those being Leach. The other, though, that took Mississippi State to its pinnacle in the modern era, Dan Mullen. Just hanging out on ESPN TV sets, playing a little golf each week. He's good on TV, but this guy's only 51 years old, John. And I know he seems content with his life just from the outside looking in. He's got that buyout from Florida propping him up. Like I said, he can play 18 holes in the middle of the week, then do get on, on the ESPN set as the games arrive. But I also think he's he's going to want to scratch that itch one more time, that coaching itch. These guys don't like just hitting out of sand traps year after year usually like they they got that competitive streak in him and i think dan mullen thinks florida did him dirty like i think he 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 thinks he was wronged by florida had had the one bad season on the heels of three straight new year's sixes and i think dan dan mullen wants to to show florida that it was uh, too quick on the trigger there what do you do, i i don't know that mississippi state's going to be the school to get him back in the action but i tell you this if mississippi state could get him uh, my coaching search would be over in five minutes, the, the amount of time it took to get Mullen on the phone. Yeah, you. we were talking off air, and, and you made a really good point that, that Dan Mullen seemed happy uh, working at ESPN. I, I watched him, too. Now, you don't know if that's just uh, a job performance or if he's genuinely loving what he's doing. I think for coaches who've been coaching, we saw Urban Meyer do it and then get back into coaching. When they get out of coaching and they go to work for go to work on TV, 
oh, they can take a deep breath. Hey, this is, man, this is like stealing money. I, I just, I just show up. I can do this. I just show up. It's almost uh, as easy as being a podcast host. <laughs> it's not that easy, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's people that work a long time in newspapers and then they get a PR job and they said, man, this is so much easier. There's no deadline pressure, that kind of thing. I, I think that that's, is a, a certainly a lure. Initially, I think it's, it's really, it's really good for a coach, but after a while, and you mentioned it kind of itch comes back because you can't get that adrenaline rush from looking into a camera. It's the competition. And if you've been a coach for a long time, you're competitive. You have to be. And I think Dan Lanning, Dan Lanning, they're not getting Dan Lanning. No, Dan, if Dan Mellon, if, if the right job came along, he would get back in. He's got something to prove now because of his bad experience at Florida. However, I think it's really tricky to go back to the place where you're already revered for what you accomplished there. It's as though you're competing against your former self. You've got to reach that standard. And what he did at Mississippi State was impressive. That is not easily done. And he might look at it and say, I, he might have thought, I don't know if I can do that again. It's a tougher league. You got Oklahoma and Texas in it now. So I don't know if that would pull him away, but I think in Mississippi State's case, yeah, just make a call. That should be your first step. Make a call to Dan Mullen and say, hey, come on back home, Dan. We'd love to have you. Yeah, that call might get sent straight to straight to voicemail. I mean, Dan speaks reverently when you hear him, you know, in public settings and, and stuff like that about his time at Mississippi State. And and I'm not saying he's he's putting on airs there, but to your point, you're chasing your your past success. And what did that look like? That looked like Mullen averaging almost eight wins per year during nine seasons at, at Mississippi State. And if and if people don't think that sounds good, I mean go look at Mississippi State's what they've done the last hundred years, right? I mean, averaging nearly eight wins a year it's some pretty good stuff. And it wasn't like he was going, you know, seven, eight wins. And and that was the ceiling. Uh, you know, the guy won 10 games in a year. They were ranked number one in the nation for a time and made it to the orange bowl with Dak Prescott. Um, he won, he won nine games after that, the year they won the tax slayer bowl. That was, um, well, that was the year he was, he was out the door. Uh, but he, he was there up until the, the bowl game. So, I mean, they had some, some high marks uh, back in 2010. They had a nine-win season, so he 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 rose up to a level that Mississippi State doesn't normally get to. And yeah, he didn't beat Nick Saban, but that's not really Mississippi State's reality, right? Like Mississippi State wants to be relevant, and they want to beat Ole Miss. Well, Dan Mullen makes you relevant. He knows how to to take those three stars. And get him to play like four stars. His problem at Florida was he didn't want to he didn't want to work hard enough in recruiting to sign the top classes to catch Kirby Smart in Georgia. Well, Mississippi State doesn't expect you to do that. They don't ask you to do that. They want you to take the three stars and and develop them and get them to prove everybody wrong. That's kind of Mullen's sweet spot. I 
I think he'd be a great hire for Mississippi State. I just think to your point, I don't know that he would go for it because you're you're chasing a bar of success that would be really hard for him to match because of of how good he had it going uh, during during his top moments there. I remember his, I think his affection for Mississippi State is genuine. I remember his talking about that. I don't think it was a, a slam dunk for him to take that Florida job. I think his wife really liked it at Mississippi State too. I think they were happy there. And the expectations are different at Florida. So, yeah, he, he might there there's a chance of that i would i certainly wouldn't rule it out and i don't think mississippi state could hire dan, a coach better than dan mullen uh yeah i i would wholeheartedly agree with that Ar- arkansas is not open john we don't know if it will open sam Pittman did himself no favors by uh, getting trucked by auburn <laughs> <laughs> on on saturday on his home field and um i mean hugh freeze doing some doing some things in, in year one there, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but if Arkansas were to open, let's say you're Dan Mullen, you can either go back to Mississippi state, you can go to Arkansas and I'm taking the play golf and work for ESPN off the table. You got to choose one. I'm not saying generic coach. I'm saying Mullen in particular, which would you choose if you were him? Would you, would you go for the sequel at state? Or would you try something different at, at Arkansas? I think he would go for the sequel in Mississippi State. I think Arkansas, uh, their glory, Arkansas's true glory days were back a long time ago, back in the late 60s when they were slugging it out with Texas for a national championship, uh, mid-60s to late 60s. Um those expectations never really go away. But fans remember the glory days and expect them to come again, even though it's kind of absurd to think that will happen when you have such a long history of not, they have such a long history of not returning. I just think there would be lower expectations at Mississippi State. And I think there would be a comfort level there that he couldn't find anywhere else. So I think Arkansas needs to look elsewhere. Uh, how about Bobby Petrino? His head coach is gone. He's an offensive coordinator at Texas A&M. Um, uh, I think that ship maybe has You think? Has was and it I, a ship I'm, or was it a motorcycle? It was a motorbike, yeah. Oh, okay, that's for sure. okay. I'm still not convinced Arkansas is going to fire Sam Pittman this year. I, Saturday's result made it harder, but I'm not. I'm not certain there. They're going to do that. Uh, so I want to wrap up on Mississippi State, though, John. It, let's say Dan Mullen, um, you know, he he doesn't answer the call, but he sends a quick re- text back and says, uh, "Thanks for thinking of me. Love you guys, but I'm I'm good here." So you got to move on to somebody else. I, I threw out, you know, there's a laundry list of names here. I, I threw out, I think four in addition to Mullen, in a column that I wrote this week. So I'm going to see which of these four you like the best. And are there one or two names here that I'm missing that would be realistic for Mississippi State that you like better than than either of these four names? So here's my four. Tulane's Willie Fritz and Liberty's Jamie Chadwell. There's an age difference between those two, but I put those kind of in the same class. They're the guys that are winning 
in the group of five ranks that are kind of on the cusp of their shot at the power five. Then I have Barry Odom, who's off to a hot start in his redemption tour at UNLV. Barry, Barry Odom, of course, the former coach at Missouri, who was just, I mean, he was like the face of a 500 coach at Missouri. He was also a successful defensive coordinator at Memphis. Uh, I think he kind of fits the Mississippi State brand. He understands the recruiting ter- terrain, having been at, at Memphis. And then the last one I'll throw at you, John, is Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. He's not been a head coach, but he does know offense. Levy has previously worked under Art Bryles, Josh Heupel, and Lane Kiffin. Of those four, Willie Fritz at Tulane, Liberty's Jamie Chadwell, Barry Odom at UNLV, or Oklahoma offensive coordinator, do you like one of those names the best? Do you hate them all? And is there someone I'm obviously missing for the Mississippi State job that would be tailor-made, someone other than Dan Mullen? I really don't know much about Willie Fritz, but I know he took a Tulane team and beat Southern Cal in a bowl game. Jamie Chadwell, I ju- I, that's a possibility. I would take him over Barry Odom. I, I just don't think the fan base would get very excited about Barry Odom, despite what he might be doing well at UNLV. He's had some success there. I just don't think that would excite the fan base. I think Chadwell could excite the fan base a little bit. Um, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree. To uh, Coach Prime in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, He was at Jackson State. Maybe he wants to get back in the South. Things aren't going so great right now, but he's still – he's. Won four games, and that's three more than the Buffaloes won last year. So I might give that a shot. You think Prime would leave Colorado for Mississippi State? I don't know, but what would it hurt to call him? Well, sure. They could call Urban Meyer, too, while they're at it. Well, of course I would. (laughs) Of my four names, is it safe to say, then, you like Chadwell, maybe the best, a former coach at Coastal Carolina, who's now got Liberty undefeated as Hugh Freeze's replacement? Yeah, I, I think I would. He's he succeeded in more than one place. I think I would go with him. Now he's picking up where Hugh Freeze left off at Liberty. That's apparently a really good stepping stone job. You can win a lot of games there. But his teams play hard. I think that would uh that might be pretty good. But I don't want to leave that Dan Mullen. I, I might make more than one call to Dan Mullen. And I might call his wife too and, and just hey, you remember the good old days back in Starkville? Uh, you, you were can, happy here. You can kind of wear somebody down with those phone calls, John. You're not going to let it go to voicemail. Just yeah. You're doing the call back 30 minutes later, 30, yeah. and then 20 minutes later, and then 10 minutes later, and yeah. eventually you'll wear them down. Yeah, I can. Uh, you know, obsessiveness can be a good quality in 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 some cases. All right, let's get into our picks, John, and I'm making a comeback. I'm back in the lead. I was four and two last week. You were two and four. I'm now up one and a half games in the standings. Neither one of us has made it back to 500 yet. We're getting there. Well, I'm getting there. You're going in the wrong direction. We'll see if you can reclaim the lead this week. Not very many big games around the SEC this week, so we got just a few. A lot of teams playing their FCS opponent this week. Uh, We're going to start outside the conference because I mentioned him earlier, I was really pitching hard, Kalen DeBoer, 
at Washington, who's 21 and two in two years at Washington. You're not all that interested. Um, we'll see if you're interested in this matchup. Washington, as they pursue the playoff, their undefeated season, they're just a one point favorite on the road at Oregon State. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State is not a name we mentioned in the Texas A&M segment, but perhaps we should have. Uh, he's done a nice job at Oregon State, and even though he's an Oregon State alumnus, Oregon State's headed for a future in the Pac-2. Uh, I'd be trying to get out of there if I was I was him, but uh, your thoughts uh, on this one with Washington as a one-point favorite? Uh, you shouldn't let uh, sentiment get in the way of your uh, picking business, but as badly as I'm doing, what difference does it make? I kind of, I really like what Jonathan Smith's done there. Uh, and I also like Oregon State at home. I remember when Oregon State was in worse shape than it is now, much worse shape, and it hung in there with uh, Southern Cal's best teams. Seems like more than once. I like it playing at home, uh, crowd rocking um, as an underdog, a, a chance to be a spoiler. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with Oregon State. John, when I was uh, 25 years old covering high school sports and Division II in Quincy, Illinois, uh, the paper, I believe it was the Corvallis, Oregon paper. Couldn't tell you what it's called. Maybe you know. You know know what the paper is in Corvallis? Uh, No, I'll just call it the Gazette. For okay, podcast purposes. <laughs> for podcast purposes, the Corvallis Gazette had an opening as its uh, Oregon State beat writer, and twenty-five-year-old uh, Topmeyer sent in his application. Never heard back, and Oregon State's not going to hear back from me on this pick. Oh, I'm going wow. Washington all the way. Kalen DeBoer is my guy. They're going to cover that one-point spread, and. Uh, yeah, I didn't miss anything by not getting called back on that job, John. Well, I think one day we should one time in the off football off season we should do a podcast. We should do a podcast on jobs we thought we were going to get. Well, I didn't say I thought I was going to get it, just that I didn't get it. Well, okay, jobs we tried to get. Okay. That, That's good. I think that would be a good topic. That would be. I'm going to file that away for yeah. March when in between kicking Vanderbilt out of the SEC. You can only do that. Well, can you only do that so many times? No, nah. you can do it on an annual basis. Sure. sure. All right. We'll you can't do, kick uh, Missouri out anymore. No. Uh-uh. No, you cannot. Uh, all right. I've got uh, kicking Vanderbilt out penciled in for March 14th, so we'll do that jobs we got snubbed for the following week. Okay. Yeah, all right. are ahead of the game for 24. That's right. Next game on the list. John, we're going to get into some SEC action. South Carolina, Gamecocks flying high after embarrassing Vanderbilt on Saturday. That's not hard to do. It will be harder, though, to beat Kentucky, maybe a little bit anyway. Kentucky is a two-point favorite. The game is in Columbia, South Carolina. Are you won over by South Carolina's dominating performance against the Commodores? And if you're wondering, yes, Clark Lee still is the coach. At Vanderbilt, Clark Lee, by the way, applauded his quarterback for putting the team in position to punt consistently on Saturday. And no, I don't think he was being sarcastic. I think he was pretty happy 
with his quarterback consistently positioning his team to punt may explain why uh, Clark Lee's two and 10 this season. Well, I jumped did, the gun. Uh, it's not quite two and 10, but he's headed there. Did South Carolina uh, return the punt for a touchdown? Uh, because uh, every time I, I would switch over to that game and every time I switched over, somebody from South Carolina was running full speed toward the end zone. I didn't realize Mario Anderson was such a sprinter. Um, yeah, I an impressive win over Vanderbilt. I mean, do they call you know how they call uh, Sanford Stadium between the hedges? Uh-huh. I think they should call Vanderbilt Stadium uh, between the cranes. You just love that construction site. That yeah, Vanderbilt I do. It's calls a football field. Yeah, I mean, it's like, hey, you guys can go ahead and play a game Saturday, but we got we got some construction work to do, and we're not slacking off. So no, it's the only construction workers I've seen not slacking off. I would, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't put much stock in that, but you know, I'm a big Spencer Rattler fan. Yes, you are, and. Uh, President of the fan club when you're not busy running uh, Urban Meyer's fan club. Yes, um, but I'm going to have to take – I think he'll have a good game, but I think Kentucky will put up some points unlike Vanderbilt. Uh, when you said Clark Lee applauded his quarterback uh, for getting them a punt, <laughs> I, that's pretty funny. I, I thought – I thought you're getting ready to say applauded his quarterback for not quitting in the middle of the game, just walking off the field. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you really gotta you gotta dig deep when you're searching for compliments for this Vanderbilt team, and yeah, putting your team in position to punt is is apparently the new success story. Well, aren't and, you always in position to punt? Yeah, that's uh, what I said. You could just punt on first down. That's what they did in Claire B's novels about Chip Hilton that were written back in the '40s. Apparently, I Clark love Lee, those books. I did too. Yeah, Clark, you know he could he could run a spread offense and punt on first down, hundred miles an hour, and punt on first down. He loved that quick kick. Uh, I'm taking Kentucky too, John. Uh, okay. They don't. Uh, the goal of their offense is maybe at one time it was to punt it, but not anymore. It's a new day. Uh, Kentucky's not a great team, but they can score some points. I think they'll. I think they'll win at uh, South Carolina. All right, how about Florida? At Missouri, you are the uh, most inconsistent conductor of the uh, Missouri train. You turned heel on him last week against Tennessee. I had the faith, and Mr. Truman Bulldog just shredded oh. the balls. Now Missouri's an 11-point favorite against Florida, and it's with no hesitation that I take the Tigers to keep the good times rolling as they try to find their way into a New Year's Six Bowl. What a story that would be. Well, it would be a great story, especially since I had them picked to be six in the SEC East. Uh, but I've changed my tune, uh, and I'll change it from last week. Um, I like Missouri here, too. Uh, I'll give those points. Florida's defense, how bad is it? Quite. I mean, we thought LSU's defense was bad, but Florida's, my goodness. Yeah, it's not what you expect out of Florida, and Billy Napier is heading toward a pivotal, pivotal third season. You don't get to have too many like this one and get called back the following 
year. In fact, if next one's like this one, quite certain he's not going to be called back the following year. All right, we're both taking Missouri. We both took Kentucky. We parted ways on the Pac-12. Last game we're picking in the SEC this week before we get to our locks, John. Georgia, whom I saw rip Ole Miss apart limb by limb. And, uh, boy, are we sure they're not as good as they once were? They looked apart on on Saturday. That uh, defense, still pretty fierce. And the offense, with Brock Bowers back in the lineup, a healthy lad McConkey, those running backs are running hard. That offensive line is playing at its peak. Carson Beck keeps getting better. I'm convinced he's going to work his way into the Heisman conversation by the time ballots are due. I don't think he's going to win, but he might be a finalist. Georgia now goes to Tennessee, which is licking its wounds um, after the most embarrassing loss of the Josh Heupel era. Georgia, just a 10-point favorite. That's probably some respect for Neyland Stadium. Who will you take? It's a tremendous respect for uh, Neyland Stadium. I think it, it's worth some points, but I don't think it can get uh, Tennessee enough points to cover that line. Um, you're right. Georgia's playing so well now. I, to beat Ole Miss so badly, I was expecting a, the few Ole Miss fans in attendance to start making those little horn frog things with their with their hands because uh, it reminded me of the tcu game the way oh, that okay the way I that know where we're going with that one yeah. yeah my big question is why isn't the point spread bigger kirby smart when he was a player at georgia when he gets tennessee four times lost all four times coaches remember their playing days and uh SECs has a lot. It's a lot about rivalries, and Kirby Smart will have his team ready to play, I guarantee you. All right, so you're taking the dogs, yeah. giving the points? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, that brings us to our lock of the week. We both hit our lock last week, John Miracles. That's an upset. Who's that group that looks in to try to verify miracles? Is that something the Pope oversees? <laughs> we ought to send that off to see if we can get that classified as a – as a uh, verified miracle there, the fact that we both hit our locks. I got another one for you this week. Uh, I hit inside the Mac last week. A lot, of, a lot of my emailers tell me I ought to be covering the Mac. That's about what I'm worthy of, of doing. So maybe that is my expertise. And I'm going to stay right there. And I'm taking Miami, Ohio. They're given eight and a half points to Buffalo. Doesn't matter. They're going to win by by at least two scores. No problem. Miami, Ohio is one of the best teams in the MAC. Buffalo isn't, and it's with great confidence that I take Miami, Ohio at home on a Tuesday night. So depending on when you're listening to this, this game has probably already happened. Miami, Ohio has probably already won. They're covering that eight-and-a-half-point spread. Well, I'm glad you know what works for you. That's great. I don't know what works for me. I've had a horrible gear on locks, and I'm tempted to re- – just go the opposite way. What I think is the best pick, just pick the other team. But I can't do that. I mean, I watch so much Pac-12 football. I'm through with my work. I watch those late-night games every week. I've become a big fan of Arizona. Lost their starting quarterback to injury. They brought in a freshman. He's even better than the guy who was there before. And uh, The guy before was really good. Um uh, Got a good running game. It's beaten. It beat three 
nationally ranked teams in a row. So I'm going with Arizona against Utah. I think Arizona's a slight favorite, maybe one point. And they're playing, they're playing in Tucson, and those guys get rowdy. All right. So you're not even positive the spread. You don't care because Arizona's winning by enough that they're 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 good you know, to go. Uh, it's I, it's a half point. So they just need to win the game. Might as well be. What is that? That's that's. I don't know. It might be the first time I've seen a half point I, spread. I don't so. remember seeing that before. Yeah. You know, I I probably shouldn't have said that because it just kind of sounds like I don't care. Well, I would never question whether you do, okay. especially when it comes to Pac-12 football. Uh, I know how much Pac-12 football you watch. Uh, we really ought to start thinking about getting a Pac-12 football unfiltered going. And if not, maybe an Urban Meyer unfiltered podcast. I know, I know you would love to host that. And I've actually heard rumor, John, that that will be the subject of your fourth book. Is that <laughs> any truth to that? Uh, I don't really want to talk about that right now, Blake. I mean, that's a kind of deal with for my publisher and agent. We kind of keep those things in house. If you don't, don't mean to be rude, but let's, let's don't get into that. Uh, I like the idea of a Pac-12 podcast and the Urban Meyer podcast, what we could do with that each week, we could take say half a dozen games and pick one of the teams in the game and say, what would have happened if Urban Meyer would have been coaching that team? Mm. Mm -hmm. We'll pencil that in the yeah, week and after we do the podcast on all the all the employers who turned us down. Before we get to that point, though, we'll be back with you next week as the SEC championship approaches. We'll discuss that more uh, probably next week. Uh, thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... Uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.